0: Well, it's good to be back uh, home in Birmingham from Synod. So myself and Father uh, Zach and Deacon Josiah and our two lay delegates, Grant and Amy Henley, were in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, Loganville, Georgia to be um, exact, on Friday and Saturday at our annual uh, Synod. Now, you may be wondering, what, what is this Synod that you speak of? Well, as Anglicans, we have one business meeting each year. And all clergy and the bishops are, were expected and actually required to go. And then each church sends delegates. And we talk about boring things like constitutions and canons and all of the things, all the business meeting stuff. And I'm happy to report there were no contentious arguments this year. Praise the Lord. It was amazing. But it was really good, though, to be around um, other clergy and laity, to be under good teaching. We had um, Bishop J. Behan of New Zealand. Was flown up to give some of our talks, and it was and to preach for us, and it was just a wonderful, wonderful time. Uh, one thing before I preach this morning that I wanted to share with each of you is actually that um, uh, whether you knew it or not, this synod actually affected each of you, um, because Archbishop Foley has announced that Synod 2024 is going to be at Christ the King <laughs> Anglican Church, which is amazing. Yes, amazing thing. <clears throat> So that means we'll have 260 plus clergy and laity descending on this place Wednesday through Friday, th- Wednesday through Saturday, or Thursday through Saturday in November a year from now. So we've got a lot to do. So we need to make a committee, and how many of you are going to be in, all right, Copeland, you're involved, you're involved, Dana. We're going to, we'll, we'll be having some announcements coming forward about being involved in Synod 2024 as we get to host it. I think it's the first time that it's gone be, uh, outside of Loganville, Georgia, where our cathedral is, All that to say, let us pray and let us get into the word. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Father, we love you. Lord, as I preach this morning, would you give me clarity? Uh, Father, would you, by the power of your Spirit, allow your people, including myself, to receive the words that you have for us to affect our lives, to affect the way that we see you, Father, and your Son, Jesus Christ? For the way that we are striving towards holiness in this life as believers. Father, I pray finally that through the preaching, the gospel will be proclaimed and believers in this parish strengthened. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have a Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 12. It's page 981 of your pew Bible. If you have no excuse, there's a Bible in front of you. Grab that, turn to page 981, chapter 3, verses uh, 12 through the end of the chapter. <clears throat> Throughout many of St. Paul's letters in the New Testament, um, he describes the Christian life in athletic terms. In athletic terms. Uh, on the way home, I was uh, laughing with Father Zach and Deacon Josiah about how many college football jokes and references were made at Synod. Was, there was a lot of them. I was I was like, okay, well, the good thing is, I mean, Paul makes some athletic metaphors as well, so it's not completely out of place, and the Oklahoma State Cowboys did win the final bedlam of 114 years, praise the Lord. Anyway, all that to say, St. Paul utilizes athletic metaphors in Scripture, in his writings, to talk about the faith, what the faith is like. In um, Philippians 2, 16, so just a chapter or so ago from our time here, from, uh, from this text, Paul says this, Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain, or labor in vain. That word there, and the words in our passage here, many of the verbs, were verbs that were used to describe races and athletic events of antiquity that Paul would have been familiar with, and it seems maybe he himself loved uh, these athletic uh, events, or was even... Athletic himself, or enjoyed them, because he utilizes these examples. He does it elsewhere in Galatians. He says, "Um, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Another athletic example, specifically a race example. And famously, you'll probably remember at the end of 2 Timothy, when Paul was riding from that cold, dark Roman prison, and he um, is aware that his time on earth is, is um, drawing nigh. And his martyrdom is ahead. He writes these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. You see, Paul conceived of our life as Christians in athletic terms, in terms of a race in particular. This morning, I want us to conceive of our lives the Christian lives that we lead in a similar way, in a similar fashion. I think there's a lot of important things we can draw out about how to live our lives now based on the metaphor that Paul gives to us here in Philippians 3. Um, some of you know that uh, I am a, I'm a former athlete, emphasis on former. Um, there's really nothing left. Uh, but I did play athletics in high school and in middle school, and I enjoyed playing baseball <clears throat> and uh, basketball. In football, I even ran track in high school until our very tiny school cut, they cut the track program to save money. Um, and I've always wondered about that. You know, when you run track, like all the, all you have to have is shoes. Uh, there's no other. Anyway, but they, they cut the track program. I've enjoyed athletics. I had two coaches in particular that I can remember that were influential in my life. And as I was preparing this sermon these two coaches, I think, uh, have really helped me understand maybe some more of what Paul is getting at here in the text. The first was a baseball coach. Now, I had, I had at least three of them in high school, so no one's going to know who it was that I'm talking about if they ever hear this sermon. <clears throat> but one of them, his coaching style was this. When you made a mistake in the field, um, he was on you at that moment, okay? And then in practice that week, if you made a similar mistake, what he did is he reminded you of your failure. He reminded you of your failure. Remember that time in the you know the third inning when you you know misjudged that that ball in the outfield went over your head and cost us three runs. Do you remember that? He was very hard. He was um, he utilized memory in in a way that, um, that really made me uh, hate playing baseball. I, I hated it. Now I did it. It was a small town. You know, I graduated with 64 people, if you were an athlete you kind of had to play all the sports just to help the town, that's kind of what you did, but I hated baseball. Because not only was there never any positive encouragement, there was no feeling that we as athletes on the field were an extension of our coach in communion with him. But then I had a football coach who was the exact opposite. Now um, he would get on you really hard also in games. Remember, he, he grabbed my face mask a couple times and got really close. I could, I could smell the coach's breath. You know, he was in my face, telling me what I did wrong. But here's what, he, here's what he would also say during games and in practice. Look, I love you, and I've chosen you to play this position. You know how to play it. You know how to play it. You've practiced. I'm setting you up. So do as you've been practiced to do. He even talked about us being as an extension of him on the field. And I had communion with this coach. I did. I had communion, not because he shied away from saying when I had failed or others had failed, but he encouraged us. He said, you've been called and chosen and I've put you out on that field. And you know, to this day, I love football. Not, not just um, in kind of a colloquial sense, but as someone who played it and who had a wonderful coach that expected, he expected obedience to him. He expected us to get better as we played. But when we made mistakes, he told us to forget about the mistakes. Sure, learn from them, but forget about them. And press on, move on. Move forward in your life as an athlete. And I give that broad introduction before we get into what Paul actually wrote in Philippians here to say this. The way that you view God and his expectations of you and what he has said about you cashes out in reality in your journey in the Christian faith and how you run the race? Do you see God as someone that is constantly saying, look, you're in this race and there's a finish line and look around you, look how much you're failing. Can't you do better than this? Aren't you better than this? The guilt, some of us see God in that way. And Paul, when he talks about the life of the Christian as being a race, having a beginning point in time, moving into the future, and having a prize in mind, he's going to give us, I think, some, some really deep and helpful ways of understanding who we are and how we are to run this race. This morning in Sunday school, we did some Lectio Divina on the first of this passage. I didn't do it so I could steal good ideas, but there was one good idea, and Amy, Amy uh, Cross mentioned it. And we'll talk about it in a moment. She said that, Paul talks about an upward call that our journeying is up. It's not the races like this journeying to Him, not out just flat where we have all sorts of obstructions. He's calling us high and above and mighty. And, and thank you, uh, Amy, for that. But beloved, let's get now into the text and see how this cashes out in our life. Paul says, not that I have already obtained this. He had just talked about the resurrection, by the way, of the body. Not that I've already attained this or am perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, hear this. Christ Jesus has made you His own through baptism and by the power of His Holy Spirit. Your identity is, is no longer the old man or the old woman, but it's in Him. I almost wish that, our, that the translators of the ESV would have flipped this around and said, of course, Paul writing, but but I... Um, but." Because Christ Jesus has made me his own, I can press on to make it my own. We begin there with what he's done. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Last Sunday, when I preached on the first part of chapter 3, You might recall Paul giving all of his qualifications. You remember this? He said, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. I'm like the perfect Jewish man, basically. But I count all of that as rubbish to knowing Christ. You might remember this passage. I find it um, very encouraging that Paul is saying that he, in his race towards the prize that is the resurrection from the dead in Christ, he says, I'm forgetting what lies behind me. Forgetting what lies behind me. Have you had moments in your life where the devil tempts you to remember your own failings to get you to basically stand still in the race, to stand still in the race? Um, I remember uh, Father Zach uh, several Sundays ago preaching, and he gave a race analogy, talking about it was like the second to last mile was always the worst. I think that was something you mentioned, um, which is so true for those who run. But in your Christian race, have you looked back on your life and seen your own sin and failure and how you have not lived up to the holiness that God has called you to and you have then been tempted to just stand still or to just fall flat. And there's no movement in the journey, in the race. Paul says, forget about that stuff. And in forgetting about it, strive towards the goal, the prize, the finish line. Get up, move, walk, Run forget you know i i often wonder that when you're in real community with other believers and we have that here in this church it's not perfect we have good real fellowship and koinonia in this church you are called sometimes in your conversation with your fellow believers in this church and within your family to tell people god has forgiven you you've got to forget about that and you've got to move on towards the prize that is jesus christ in the resurrection promised Verse 14, continuing in this metaphor, this analogy, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Amy, you made such a great point. This, This call is not just forward here on earth where so many obstructions get in our way, but it has a heavenly gaze. This is all set. Paul's letter here in this chapter is all set from the tone of the resurrection of the dead that Paul is striving to attain in Christ Jesus. It's having eyes up for the goal of the resurrection of the dead that allows us then to move in this race and to continue adjourning, not straight, but up. Let those of us who are mature think this way. You see, when we talk about maturity in the Christian faith, Um, we often think about those that just have a really good daily devotional time or have a great prayer life, like they're really mature. And yes, that is a part of it. Spiritual disciplines are a part of being a mature Christian. But I would argue this. Maturity, for Paul here in this moment in time, and I think elsewhere in the New Testament, maturity is gauged by a Christian's ability to see their life in the context Of who God has called them to be, who He has made them to be, and who they are moving towards becoming. There's a context there. Realizing that the race um, is a long race. It's a long race towards the end of our life and moving towards holiness, but the mature Christian knows that. The mature Christian doesn't think of the Christian life as just a sprint to be really good at Bible study, really good at praying, and then you've kind of arrived at the goal. Those things are not the goal those things point us to the end of the race, to God himself. That's the goal. The means are not the end. But I will also say this, as Paul is hitting at, but if you're not, um, if you're not training your body, as Paul says elsewhere, that, you know, and of course the metaphor of training your soul and your mind in the scriptures and in prayer, you're going to have a hard time on the race. But those means are not the end. The end is the vision of God. The end is the resurrection from the dead. All these other things help us in our race, in our Christian life here on earth. Moving on, skip down to verse seventeen. Paul switches here to, I think, an important but all too forgotten teaching for our churches that are um, or that should be seeing our Christian lives as a race as a journey towards that heavenly prize. He says this, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Paul does not say, imitate Christ. Who am I? Imitate Christ only. He says, imitate who? Who? He says, imitate me. And not only imitate me, of course, as he's imitating our Lord, he says, what else? Imitate me and keep your eyes on those who walking according to the example you have in us. A part of the Christian race that is our faith and our life is that we're doing it as a community, as a family. There are some of you that others are looking to. They're looking to imitate you to imitate your, the way that you pray. I mean, just be honest with me for a moment. How many of you have heard someone pray and you have thought, I want to imitate the way that they pray? Has anyone ever thought that before? Yes. I think that quite often as a rector when I hear you pray. But you see, the journey, the race, rather, that you're on, that I'm on, is not just an individualistic race either. We're in it as a communion, as a family, as a fellowship. And you're called to imitate your brothers and sisters as they're imitating Paul, as he's imitating Christ. God is raising up some of you to be leaders and mentors and people to be imitated, though you're not perfect. And some of you who think that others don't look to you, don't see you and hear your prayers and watch how you live the life, don't don't fool yourself. People are watching. They're wanting to imitate this is how we move across, finally, that finish line. I'm struck at last, this last Wednesday, All Saints Day. Beloved, the faithful, we're moving together in this race, not in competition with one another, but helping each other as we attain, finally, that prize that is Christ's resurrection. Verse 18. Paul gives this negative example. Now, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ their end is destruction their god is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things i think it's interesting in verse 19 that word end there is very similar to the word goal or prize that you see for them the end is their own pleasure their own fame their own being built up in this life. That's their end. And you see, in the kingdom, in kingdom calculus, that is, that's the shame. When we put ourselves as the end of the Christian journey. That's not the end. Christ is the end. He goes on to explain people, to explain about people that are enemies of the cross of Christ and whose God is their, their own belly, that is, their own appetite. Their race in life is primarily concerned with avoiding punishment and garnering pleasure in this life that's what they're concerned about is that us is that you and me we must repent of that because that makes us an enemy of the cross of christ and and here's how it does it when we believe that the end goal is ourselves then we have defamed the end goal that has been purchased to us and for us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Some of us do this through our own um, selfish ambitions, apart from what God is calling us to in this life. Others of us become enemies of the cross of Christ because we believe that if we can just get things right, we can finally garner our redemption. That too, that too is an offense to the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame, with minds set on earthly things. Beloved, um, I've been struck in our Philippians text for this morning and then for the last few chapters of how much the resurrection from the dead has taken the forefront in in Paul's mind here. Beloved, we need to move our eyes from earthly things. We need to see this race is not run on level ground, but up towards the resurrection from the dead. Finally, he writes this But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. As I've talked with older people in our congregation, who um, many of them are re- they're ready to meet the Lord, they're just like, look, I've, I'm, I'm running the race still, but I'm ready to meet the Lord. You know, they have a sense of that heavenly citizenship in a way that some of us who are young in particular, we don't have that yet, and we need that. Our bodies are going to break down, Suffering is going to happen as we run this race. Some of us are going to be limping to the finish line, but here's the wonderful thing. As our bodies break down, as we are are tired from the suffering in this life, as we move to grab hold of the prize that is ours in Christ Jesus, we will be given a new body, a new existence, a new glory that is to come. Our eyes need to be on that goal, that finish line, that prize. And finally, in closing, let me say this. In the series, we've talked about prayer and suffering and joy throughout Philippians. Let me include those here as I close. Prayer, praying to God, communicating to our Lord. Beloved, I want to say that it's through prayer, both individually and corporately, It's through prayer that we are able to do what Paul tells us to do here in Philippians, to forget what lies behind us. It's in prayer that God reminds us of what he's calling us to and what the real end of our lives is. It's through prayer we attain that. In suffering. Beloved, the more that we suffer for our Lord Jesus Christ, the more we are able to realize that our citizenship finally isn't here. Our citizenship is in that world to come. And then finally this, it's joy. Beloved, when you and I, by the power of the Spirit, can believe again the gospel, that's through the cross of Christ, that the, the finish line, the prize has been won for you, it's been given to you already, and that we strive towards it in this life, but it's a certain striving, a sure striving, It's when we believe that in faith that we can have joy in this life in the glorious hope of the resurrection. So beloved, on your sprint, marathon of faith, remember this. The goal is the resurrection in Christ and that in the fellowship of the saints, we encourage one another to forget what lies behind, to look forward to what has been given to us already. Pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.